If you have your Bibles, we're going to really go old school today. I have zero slides today because I need you to work as hard as I'm working up here. Um, so you're going to have to take notes as we go along here. Um, we're so spoiled. But on Sunday, we, we, we talked about how Jesus compares the word with the seed. And he said the seed gets scattered and depending on the soil, you get different results. And the heart behind that message is to get you to be a good soil that produces fruit. So I want to add to that today. If you're taking notes, this is basically show me the, show me the fruits part two. Um, I want to go a little bit deeper in another teaching that Jesus did on how to bear fruit. So even though we're on Mark, we're going to use the Gospel of John today to go a little bit deeper in the same teaching. But take, I, want to, I want to share with you two more things that leads to a fruitful life. Two more things here in this passage that leads to a fruitful life, if you're taking notes. John 15, uh, we're going to read the first five verses of John 15. If you don't have your, your Bible, you're going to have to listen to it. Um, because there's nothing behind me today. John 15, are you there? Yeah. Oh, you know, I was going to say open your Bibles, but you're like, open your phones, <laughs> your iPad, your Android. If you have a flip phone, get out. <laughs> Come back when you're in the century. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He, the father, cuts off every branch of, my, of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes, circle that word, that word prunes, the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. So he prunes in order for you to produce even more. Verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. But pruning is a continuous thing. Verse 4, remain. Uh, next to that word remain, if you're taking notes, you can write abide. Another word for remain is to abide. Remain in me and I will remain or abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me or abide in me. And verse 5 says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do nothing. Can you say amen? So let's, I want to really, when you get right into it, if you take your notes, pruning, pruning is part of, of the journey. Pruning is part of the journey, right? It's not a one-time thing. Pruning is a continuous thing, right? If you, if you want a, a, a tree to bear fruit, you have to prune it, right? You don't prune it once or twice. You, you prune it anytime there's a need for pruning, right? So in this journey, we are going to be pruned by the Lord himself, the Lord prunes. Now, catch this. This is so good. Jesus said, he prunes so that you may bear more fruit. Yeah. 
right? He prunes so that you may bear more fruit. So from time to time, God's going to prune you because he wants you to be more fruitful. He's not pruning you to punish you. He's pruning you to make you more productive. How cool is that? Right? He's pruning you because he's like, man, there's more in you. Right? And if we don't prune you, you're going you're to be stagnant and you're going to plateau. We don't want to plateau. We want to keep growing. And we want to keep bearing fruit. Right? A plateau life is a, is a sad life. It's a dull life. It's the lukewarm life that we don't want. Right? So, so we want to be pruned because we want to be fruitful. We want to be productive. Right? We want to reach our full potential. Right? And so the goal of pruning is to bless you. It's not to hurt you, but it does hurt. Like, if you see a, 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 a garden of pruning, if you're that tree, you're going, ow, ow, like, ah, like, this hurts. If, if plants could talk, they would say, this, this stinks right now, man. What are, you, what are you doing to me? You're cutting things off of me. You know, and that's how it feels like sometimes in this journey. You feel like, oh, man, like I can't seem to catch a break. But here's the catch. You don't want to catch a break. You want to be pruned. You want to embrace the process of pruning because you want to be able to produce more fruit, right? To prune is to cut away everything that is dead or overgrown, okay? To prune is to cut away dead or overgrown branches or stems, with the goal of bringing more fruit and growth, okay, is to remove, basically, is to remove unwanted parts. That's what pruning is. Removing unwanted parts, right? In our journey, the more you pursue the Lord, the more you begin to see there are things in me that doesn't, fit anymore. There are things that no longer fit this lifestyle. Right? There are things that no longer are part of this journey. Right? There are relationships that don't fit anymore. There are attitudes. There are actions. There are mindsets. Words. Entertainment. They don't fit this anymore, right? The Lord will say, that's, that's not part of you because that doesn't look like me, right? And, and the more you walk with the Lord, the more he begins to reveal those things, to say, wait, that thing is going to slow you down. That thing is going to keep you from producing more. Sometimes he says, that person is going to slow you down, right? That person is going to keep you from growing, Right? A lot of times it's not your attitude, it's not your thoughts, it's a person. Because not everybody is on the same journey as you. Not, not everybody's on the same mindset as you. And sometimes a person can slow you down on the journey that you're on. That's why he says that, that iron sharpens iron. Right? You need another person who's on the same journey with you to sharpen you as you go forward, as you move forward. Someone who's not afraid to get pruned also. Right? Someone who's not going to say, now you'll find where you are with your unwanted parts. 
You know what I mean? Someone's not going to co-sign your dysfunction. Like, we don't need people to co-sign your dysfunction. I need people to point out the dysfunction. But not to just point it out, but to help me. Because I don't want to live in my dysfunction. Are you tracking? So the Lord will prune because he wants you to produce more. Now, the way he does it, Jesus said here, he said, he said, he does it by you abiding in him. Right? So these two words go together. Pruning and abiding go together. Right? What is abiding? Right? Abiding is another word for remaining. Right? He says, if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit because in abiding, you're not running away from pruning. And in abiding, you are sitting still to let me prune. Right? Because the Lord's not going to be like running around with his clippers trying to prune and you're over here like, you know, some people are like, the moment it gets hot, it's like, I, I got to go, you know. And, and this is why I think sometimes some people miss the most powerful moment of church is when we get to the altar time when the Lord's like, anyone? <laughs> anyone? And we're like, I, I got to go. The patrons are playing. It's like, they need pruning. <laughs> the patrons need some pruning to be a fruit. <laughs> I was like, that was not a fruitful season. You know, they need pruning. But my friends, abiding goes hand in hand with pruning. If we want to bear fruit, we need to allow the pruning. And in order to allow the pruning, we need to abide. Are you tracking? You got to abide. You got to remain, right? Why? Because abiding is the number one desire of someone who has a relationship with the Lord. Abiding should be the number one desire for someone who wants to go deeper with the Lord. Because abiding is another word for communion. Right? To rest in Him. To, to spend time with Him. To get to know Him. Right? Because in any given relationship, it's by spending time that you get to know the person. See, my friends, I think a lot of people in church, they are acquaintances of God. They're not friends with God because they don't spend time with God, right? Like I was saying, a lot of times people, uh, the reason why there's so much thorn is that we're undecided. We're, we're with the Lord one moment and with the world the next moment. Like the Bible says don't be friends with the world, right? Why? Because the more friends you are with the world, the less you're going to be friends with God, right? And so the reason why a lot of people don't bear fruit is because they're not friends with God. They don't... They don't counsel with God. They don't sit with God, right? And, and, and when you don't sit with the Lord, then you don't get revelations from him, right? The reason why we have certain people in our lives that we have deeper relationship with them is because we spend time with them, right? Because you, 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 you know someone on a deeper level because you've sat with them. You've actually ate with them and, and hung out with them. And I think it's no different. If you want to have a real relationship with the Lord, you have to have communion with him. You have to spend time with the Lord. That's what he's saying, remain in me. Right? Like, let's spend time together. And throughout the gospel, you're going to see Jesus always took time to be with God the Father. 
Like, you, 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 there's no way you're going to read the Gospel of Mark and not see this pattern where Jesus would go alone and be with the Father and, and commune with the Father. Sometimes he would pray all night. Talking about communion. He would just spend time with him. And the, pro, and the struggle we have is that for most people, prayer is just asking for things. It's not communion with God. That's why a lot of people's prayer life is so shallow because all they do is approach God like a vending machine. Not as a friend, as a father who wants to spend time with you. You know, the older I'm getting in the faith, the more, like, my, I, in my prayer life now is less words and more listening. Right? It's not always about me saying everything. It's about me sitting and try to hear the Spirit. Try to hear the Father, right, and commune with Him. Sometimes the best prayer time you would have is to just sit there and say nothing. Just try to hear God. Try to center your spirit. Try to center your soul. It is so hard to do because abiding sounds counterproductive. But let me tell you something. It is the most productive thing you will do. I know for me, the more I spend time abiding, the more my day is, is actually productive. Like if I start my day the way I like to, 20, 30 minutes of like centering prayer, I usually have a more productive day than when I say I'm busy, I got a lot going on, and then I do a lot of things, but I don't accomplish much. That's why he's saying, apart from me, you can't do nothing. What he's saying is, you will do a lot of things, but it won't mean anything. Isn't it true? How many people we know who have achieved so much, and they look at their lives and they're like, man, I feel empty. I feel like nothing matters. Right, we talked about this, right? The worst thing that could happen to you, you and being is to get exactly what we wanted and go, wait, that's it. <laughs> because there was no life in it. There was no meaning. So what he, when he says, hey, apart from me, you can't do nothing, he's not saying that you won't do stuff. He's saying, like, it won't be meaningful. Because in abiding is where you find fulfillment. See, this is a tough one to teach, that if you don't find fulfillment in God, you're going to try to find fulfillment in things, and you're always going to feel empty. Because things are meant to not bring fulfillment. Things are meant to enhance what already is in you that fulfills you. Right. right? Even relationships, right? Even the most precious relationships that you have will not have meaning and fulfillment if those relationships are not grounded in God. Right? And so this is so powerful because to abide is to actually come alive. It's to actually say, man, this is where I find my identity. Like, I am, I'm not what I do for a living. I'm not my bank account. I'm not my relationships. I'm not how many followers I have on Instagram. I am who God says I am because I spend time with him, and he tells me who I am. And when I abide in him, I know myself. And the struggle that the world has is the world thinks we always need one more thing. Or we need something bigger and better. Right? And, 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 and it's an equation for failure when you don't remain in him. It sounds counterproductive, but let me tell you something. It's the most productive thing you will do. Right? It's where you find your fulfillment and you understand, wow, I actually have purpose, not because of my skills or my talent or my bank account. I have purpose because God created me with purpose. Now, those things now take on a whole other meaning. 
they'll have way more meaning when you already have purpose in who you created to be. Right? You're not looking for one more job to fulfill you because you are fulfilled, but that job is going to enhance the fulfillment that's already in you. Right? Your bank account now has a purpose to it because your bank account is not your God. Right? And your relationships will have a whole other meaning when it's like, man, we, we are enhancing each other when I try to make each other. Right? So let me tell you something. Write this down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Right? Ephesians 2, 10 will make way more sense when you begin to abide. Here's what he says. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Because you are a masterpiece, of course you want to go and be productive. Like, because you know who you are, it's easy to go and be. Right? The problem is, what we usually do is we reverse it. We go do to try to be. He's saying, oh, abide in me so you can know who you are. That's being. So when you go and do, you're doing out of your being, not, not trying to earn your doing. Does that make sense? Right? Which is a struggle in our society because when you meet people, unfortunately, our society is set up by what is it that you do? We never ask someone, who are you? Right? We say, what do you do? That's a problem because what you do doesn't mean that's who you are. And we, and we see people lose their identity when they stop doing something. Because right, right. it's like, wait, I don't know who I am. Right? I remember when I watched Michael Jordan's farewell speech at the Hall of Fame, I, all I heard was, oh, sad because his whole identity was in basketball. Right? And, he, and he sounded like a bitter man. Like he sounded like a sad person. Which, this is Michael Jordan, the GOAT. LeBron is not the GOAT. MJ is the GOAT. Okay. Let's just, let's just make that clear. Maybe, maybe LeBron is the baby goat, but, <laughs> but the point is, you see that a lot in society, right? Where, where people will stop doing something and they get depressed. Because it's like, oh man, your whole identity was in that job or was in that relationship, right? Especially like, the sad thing is when you see like little kids dating, right? And they lose their minds when they get their heart broken. It's like, you're 15 <laughs> and he's 15. What do you think was gonna happen? You know, and then like they just like the whole world is ruined. You know, like there's nothing like baby love, right? But it's like, no, you got a whole other heartbreak coming <laughs> in life. Right? Maybe this is a good thing right now. You know, understand that this is not it, baby girl. Like, you know. But the more that person doesn't know who they are, the more it hurts because you put your whole stock in that other person, right? To fulfill you, to make you, right? Which is a sad thing that happens a lot of times. But we are God's masterpiece. Like, that's our identity. And the more we spend time with him, the more he tells you who you are. And the more confidence you have in who you are, and then the more confidence you'll be able to produce. Because he said, if you understand you are his masterpiece, he created you to go do these things. Right? That's why Jesus would spend time praying because he know, like, I get my strength here. I get my identity here. I can go execute what is it that I have to execute for the day. Are you tracking? Without abiding, we get lost. Right? We become empty shells. Right? We become a, a, a less version than ourselves because we're not abiding. We're, here's what happens a lot of times. You see people that are not abiding, they're confused. 
And here's what happens a lot of times to us when we're not abiding. We'll, we'll start to ask people to tell us who we are. Indirectly, we're looking for someone to feed us, right? To try to like feed your soul and feed your confidence. And if they don't, then you're in the dumps, right? But you can't wait around for people to feed you. Here's the problem, because those people also need to be fed, right? Like the problem is we're all like not abiding and looking for each other to try to fill each other, right? When I used to be a youth pastor, I used to tell the young kids about dating. I'm like, listen, you can barely bench 100. You want to put 200 on? That's what dating would be like to you. Because you don't know who you are. Now you're going to add another person who doesn't know who they are. And you're going to, and you're going to like kill each other and, and try, to, try to pump life into each other. What happens is you usually suck life out of each other. Because you don't have what you don't have to give to someone else. You know? And so we become a, an empty version of ourselves when we're not abiding, right? But by abiding in Christ, we become a channel through which fruit is produced, right? That's why we say, like, you can't produce fruit, right? You will never find an orange going, ah, ah. Like, what are you doing? I'm going to be an orange, ah. you know? You know, an orange will have a, never have that testimony. Like, I worked really hard to become an orange. All that orange did was abide, Right? In due time, that orange was, was plucked to be useful for somebody to have orange juice. Right? That was the process of this orange. Like, hey, listen, abide there. In due time, we'll pluck you, and you'll be useful. Right? That orange, I have no idea. This is my usefulness. Like, I'm, <laughs> never mind. Um, but it's not how hard this orange works, because like, all he does is abide. Every fruit just abides. Right? And, and what is... A good farmer does, he's waiting for the right time to say, okay, now you're going to be useful. Right. right? This is why I think a lot of times in church, it, it, you know, Christians, are, they prematurely pluck themselves. They're supposed to wait and trust God for the right time, for the ripe time, right? To be like... And that's hard to teach because people, when, when people don't know how to buy it, you tell, them, you tell them to wait and they'll think, you just don't want me to get that. But it's like, I'm looking at you, you look green. You're supposed to be orange. <laughs> right? Like, I, I tell the, the students at the leadership school that the problem with a lot of churches is they were birthed prematurely. Someone had a calling, yes, but they didn't wait to become ripe for God to use them, so they go and start a church prematurely and they end up with a premature baby, right? And a premature baby needs a lot of work. There's nothing wrong with a preemie, but you want a full baby, right? Same thing with relationships, right? How many people don't wait for the ripe time and they get into a relationship? Then it's like the relationship is hurting and struggling. Why? Because there's a ripe time for relationships or to start a business or to start a church or to start a ministry, right? There's a lot of things you want to do, but there's a ripe time for it. Even Jesus had to wait for the right time. I keep saying ripe time, right time, ripe time. Jesus himself, the son of God, had to wait until God said, okay, it's time. I want you to go public. Remember, even his mom was like, hey, some people need help here. And she was, he was like, it's not my time. But she was a mom. You know, my, she's like, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Jesus is like, oh, man, I guess I got to do this. I don't know that's how he did it. I'm just using my imagination. Right? But he said, woman, it's not my time. Right? There's a time for everything. Right? But in abiding is when you will know the timing, which is hard to teach because it's not like one size fits all. 
right? God has a timing for everyone, right? The Bible says in the fullness of time, he sent his son Jesus. Not early or late, in God's time. You know, people, sometimes I hear a cliche, people say, God's always on time. It's like, that's not true. Because God's never on my time. God is on his time. So when you say God's always on time, you're saying like God who lives outside of time has a ripe time for what he does. Now that's, that's another, because God doesn't live in time, get it? One day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. God sees like past, present, and future all at once. Hello. <laughs> like God's the person that's like watching the parade, is up here, he's like, oh, I see, it's not over there, it's going to end over there. But when you're down there, you're just going, this parade's going nowhere. Right? But there's someone who has an eye view up here going, oh, I know where it's going. Yeah. Right? Don't let that fool you. That's just the traffic. But, you know, I'm going to clear that up in due time. Uh, you're all ready for this work. <laughs> but listen, prayer is how you abide. But here's the thing. If you're paying attention to the abiding, there's always an obedience part to it. Prayer and obedience go together. Just like waiting, there's obedience in waiting. Right? right? There's obedience in saying, I'm going to trust God's timing on this. Right? Every time you see Jesus pray, he always comes out and goes, okay, now I know what we're going to do next. Right? Because now I receive what we're going to do next. I got my, I got my call for this day or for this season. Are you tracking? Prayer and obedience go together. Obedience, please write this down. Obedience is the outcome of abiding. Because here's the thing, right? If you're abiding, but there's no obedience, you're not abiding, you're in la-la land. I've seen that in church too, where people come, oh my gosh, I felt goosebumps. It's like, yeah, but the goal was not goosebumps. Goal was obedience. Goosebumps is bonus. <laughs> obedience is the key, Right? It's like, what about the week that God's like, I'm not giving you any goosebumps. I just need you to go obey. Now you're like, God's not here. No, he is. He's waiting for you to obey. He's not giving you nothing. Like, I don't know if you walk with the Lord long enough. He's like, I'm not giving you any goosebumps. Nothing. It's by faith today. Actually, for this whole six months. It's going to be by faith. That's a mature word. But listen, obedience is the outcome of abiding. When I say abiding, I don't mean this mechanical, like I just sit there, you know, like a robot. No, I sit with the Lord and I'm abiding in his word, right? I'm sitting and I'm saying, Lord, teach me, speak to me, show me. Does that mean every single day you're going to get something amazing? Of course not, but it's about learning to abide even when nothing happens. When you're just learning to create the space, right, where I trust that God is ministering to me, and we're together in this, right? And so it's not this mechanical, you know, do a devotional, because that could become religious too. Just like, okay, I did my devotional, let me go. It's like, no, but that's like, you ever read something and you walked away, you're like, I have no idea what I just read, right? You you ever been, you know, zoned out and watching TV and you have no idea what's happening? Happens to me all the time. My kid comes in the room, he's like, dad, what's going on? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm just here, <laughs> zoned out, <laughs> there ain't nothing happening. That's my Sunday afternoons, by the way. When I'm done preaching, I go home in my basement, I'm like, I got nothing. Like a whole day went by, like dad's a zombie, you know. 
uh, recovering. But listen, the word becomes the foundation of the believer. The word becomes the foundation because we know that our feelings and our emotions are not trustworthy. I need, I need something more solid. I need something more concrete. And, and Jesus said those who build their lives on this will have solid foundation. Right? So I need, to, I need to be in the word because my feelings are not reliable. My emotions are not reliable. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not reliable. Right? Like, I, like you're, you're out of it sometimes. You need something that will sustain you that is not on shaky ground. Can you say amen? amen. Listen. Let me say this. Doing what Jesus says, which is obedience, forms a tangible sign that we are actually believers in Jesus. Doing what Jesus says forms a tangible sign that we actually believe in Jesus. Right? To obey is to actually receive God's love. That's what obedience is. It's not to say, I actually trust that what you say is for me. And I'm meant to do this, right? In prayer, you, you, you are growing closer to the Lord. There's an intimacy there. It's so real to you that it leads you to obedience. It's not a taskmaster, ta- taskmaster but it's the Lord of your life saying, this is what we're doing, right? And sometimes he's saying, this is what we're not going to do, right? He's saying, sometimes he says, no, this is not the timing, and if you're paying attention, sometimes it says, don't, don't make that move, right? Like, we're not going to do that right now. Some people say, I prayed and God didn't answer. He's like, no, he did. You just didn't like the answer. Because no is an answer. <laughs> right? Right. I love my kids, but because I love them, you know how many times I say no? No is probably the most used word in our house. When you have little kids, you say no like 322 times a day. <laughs> Is it because you hate them? Because you love them. No, knucklehead, you're not going to have another ice cream unless you want to be obese and have diabetes. <laughs> say no for your own good, right? No, you can't stay past up midnight. You got school tomorrow, right? Like we say no because we care, right? But a lot of times... I don't know what happens to us, but the Lord says no. And we're like, throwing a tantrum. <laughs> you know, but it's like, no, because I, I can see what you don't see. Right? So what I'm saying, no, pump the brakes. You know, but obedience is also respecting the no. Can you say amen? Again, I want to say this. Please write this down. Pruning is not punishment. It's not punishment. It's reward. Pruning is reward because he's saying, I believe you can do much more. You're going to bear much more fruit when, we, when we're done with the season. By the way, every believer has pruning season because it's not one size fits all. You've got, you got to pay attention to what the Lord is doing in your season, in your time. But it enhances your spiritual growth. But let, let's be honest, pruning hurts. Pruning hurts. No one likes surgery. But we need surgery sometimes. Some things a band-aid is not going to do. Right? The Lord needs to put us under for a little while. And sometimes that little while is a little while. There's no instant gratification. 
Like sometimes people come to church, they're like, I went to church and, 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 and what? Like, you came to church once. Can you keep coming? And continue to let the Lord do what he needs to do. Because how is he going to do all the work in one week? In an hour? And you've messed things up for 30 years. <laughs> and you want him to undo all of that in one week? Or in two weeks? No, it's, it's, it's a lifetime of, of purging and cleansing and purifying and transforming. And there are seasons where he's like, man, we've we got to go a little bit deeper on this thing. Right? I don't know if you walk with the Lord long enough when he's like, man, okay, we're, we're putting a finger on that pride. And we're going to work on that thing. You're like, I'm not prideful. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, the Lord entertains. Yeah, exactly. Anesthesia. <laughs> Put him under. You know. Some people get freaked out when someone comes to the altar and they get laid out. It's like, don't get freaked out. It's surgery. Some people, God's like, I got to put you down. <laughs> like, I can't work on you if I don't, like, just completely put you out, you know, and then work on you, you know. So when you see that, just say, oh, that's surgery. That's, that's surgery. You know, maybe, maybe I need to go, too. I don't know. All right. But listen, surgery hurts, but it's necessary. Pain and suffering is part of sanctification. Pain and suffering is part of sanctification. Right? There, there's probably no one that's walked with the Lord without going through some pain and some suffering to the process of being sanctified. Sanctification means God is, is making sure that only his character is seen in you. Did you know that in the Bible, a saint is not a perfect person. A saint is someone who's fully devoted to the Lord. Right? In the Catholic Church, they have like this thing where they like, take some people and say these are the saints. But in the Bible, everyone who believes in Christ is a saint. Because you're set apart now. You're, just, you're his. Right? Like God doesn't see you as a sinner when you give your life to him. He sees you as a saint. Right? And so he wants to take you to the process of purifying you, purging you, cleansing you until you look like him. Like the purpose of us being on earth is to commune with God in such a way that he is sanctifying us so that he, when he comes back, he's finding us unblemished. For his glory. Or if we go before he comes, that we're going into a continuation of sanctification. It's a process of purification, basically. So what, what the Lord does is he touches, he touches your habits, your attitudes, your thoughts. He's pruning everything that doesn't look like him. That doesn't reflect him. I did a little study on, on plants, and, and, and they say that without pruning... We only left with foliage, but no fruit. And that's a really interesting thing because that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Right? They, they hid themselves from the Lord, and then they tried to hide their sins by clothing themselves with fig leaves. Right? And the Lord said, what have you done? Right? And they're like, oh, they started doing the passing the buck thing. Like, this one made me do it. The one made me do it. No, Satan made me do it. Um, but what we, what we lose from that story sometimes is this little nugget of they sue fig leaves to cover themselves. Which that's what we do when we're not letting the Lord exposes us. We're trying to cover ourselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves is another way for justification by your own merits and your own works. That's a deep word. So what does the Lord do? The Lord kills an animal to sacrifice and clothe them to say, like, I'll sacrifice for you. 
because your fig leaves is not going to do it. Your justification is not going to do it. Your excuses are not going to do it. Your own righteousness is not going to do it. Right? That's why the Lord says, like, your righteousness to me is nothing but filthy rags. Fig leaves, filthy rags. You're getting the point. Like, we can try to, 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 to excuse ourselves and put on our justifications and righteousness. Then the Lord's like, no, that's your own self thing. Like, that's not going to do it. It's not good enough. Right? And so we can live in, in make-believe fig leaves or we can allow them to expose us. Because here's the thing that, that sometimes we miss in that story. It's a powerful story. It really tells the story of humanity, that whole Adam and Eve story. But when he says, like, before that, they were naked and unashamed. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the eighth grade thing, oh, my God, they were naked. The word naked there was actually deeper. They were saying, like, they were, they were exposed but with no shame. In other words, you can be fully yourself in the presence of God and have no shame when you are right in his stance according to him, not according to your fig leaves. Because they put on fig leaves and then they were ashamed. Because it was their doing as opposed to the Lord doing of saying, like, no hindrances, nothing is going to hold you back. You can fully be yourself. And that's what I think God has taken all of us to that process of bringing us back to that place where we can be fully ourselves in his presence and not feel ashamed and not feel weird and not feel guilty. That's the whole process. Because here's what happens, right? It's, it's what the Bible calls a form of godliness, but there's no fruits. I equate a form of godliness is when you just put on a front, but there's nothing happening inside. So they put on fig leaves, but their hearts were rotten. Like the Pharisees put on a, a, an outward appearance of righteousness, but their hearts, Jesus said, they look like washed up tombs. Like the tombs that look good on the outside, but it has bones on the inside. That's what a form of godliness looks like. It's when we're just going to church and going through the motions, but we're not doing any soul work to really become who God created us to be. It's like saying prayers, but your heart's not in it. It's like, it's like worshiping, but you're not really worshiping because you're thinking about something else. It's like reading your Bible out of obligation, but not out of commitment and love and devotion to God. It's like the, Paul even says, like, listen, I can give my body to be burned and still not have nothing because I'm not doing it from a place of love and acceptance. And, and, and if you read 1 Corinthians 13, because we only read that in weddings, he wasn't talking about a wedding. He was talking about like how to have devotion to the Lord where it's pure and real, not just from an outward standpoint. That's why he says, listen, you can give to the poor, you can get your body burned, you can do this, you can speak in tongues, all of that, but if you are not coming from a place of holiness and righteousness, then it means nothing. It's a form of, but it's not the real thing. Right? Are you tracking Right? So outward appearance versus internal transformation is what, is what God is into. God is into internal transformation. This is why religion without the heart of God won't do. Because all it is, is it's an outward expression, but nothing is happening on the inside. That's why some people will go to church for 30, 40 years, and you're like, you just go to a building. There's nothing about your life that says there's life happening on the inside. So we don't want a form of godliness. We want real fruits, right? It's like, it's like uh, my grandmother used to have, you know, like every grandmother, you go to their home, there's like that room that no one can go to. And the couches have plastic on it, right? And then there's like a perfect table. And on that table, every grandmother had a bowl of fake fruits. Right? Like, they're not real, right? They look like... Anyone talking about, like, am I the only one? My, like, every grandmother. And that fruit will stay there for years. 
And that room will be used maybe once or twice a year if the right people came to the house. <laughs> and that's how I look at religion. It's, like, it's just there. But it really, like, it's not useful because you can't eat it. Right? It's just like fake fruit. Right? You know, if you're Portuguese, you know what I'm talking about. Right? I'm not even, I'm Cape Verdean, but we, you know, we come from that <laughs> background. I got to run. Are you guys good? But he says you got to remove the dead wood because dead limbs can lead to disease that can kill the tree. Right? If, if you don't cut it out, right? Again, doing some research on this, they said if you don't cut it, it can spread like cancer and hurt the whole tree or the whole vineyard or whatever the tree may be. Right? So this, spiritually speaking, is when sin is not confessed. If sin is not confessed and controlled, it will rule your entire life. And here's the thing, it always starts with something small. The brother of Jesus, James, said it this way. He said, he said sin entices you, right? It entices you with a little bait, like, like someone fishing, right? But then it's like once that thing grows up, it gives birth to a full baby, a full life of sin. Because it always starts with a compromise that leads to bigger things. That's why if we let sin go unchecked, it will take over your entire life. Because here's the thing with sin. Sin will always invite his other friends to come. Right? Let me give you one example. Why does Jesus say, don't even look at a woman? If you look at a woman with your eyes, you already commit adultery. What he's saying is, remember, it all starts with what look. Right? The look formulates a thought. A thought becomes bigger when now you're activating that thought into an action, right? So he says, people don't get that because they're like, that sounds harsh. No, he's saying, look, beware. Like, it starts with a look. Right. Just the look, you're already opening a bigger door. Right. Proverbs puts it this way. He says, if you start to kiss a woman that's not your wife, your feet is already halfway to hell, Whoa. right? And it's, it's these graphic pictures is to tell you, it's to paint the picture, to say, hey, if you don't pay attention with that one little move, you have are, you are made a bigger decision than you think you made. Right? It starts with that little flirting in the office because someone's paying attention to you because you haven't been abiding, so you're looking for attention because you're insecure. But it's not your wife or it's not your husband. Please hear me. I'm trying to teach us something real. It all starts with something small, insignificant, right, that wants to just pull you in. Right? Next thing you know, now you're living this, this double life and you can't seem to come out of it because one lie always leads to another lie. It always leads to another lie. And next thing you know, you're embedded in this thing and now you're losing everything that you fought so hard for because you didn't take care of that one little thing. That's why he says, hey, if your eyes cause you to sin, gudge it out. He wasn't saying physically. He's saying, like, that's how serious you should take when things are trying to creep into your life that don't belong. So cut it off immediately. Don't flirt with it. That's a good word. I don't know who I'm talking to. Let me give you a reference to look up. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Galatians 5, 17 says this. Look, he says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other 
So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So we got a, a, a you versus you happening all the time. It's like a UFC fight happening on the inside of you, right? And if it goes unchecked, the wrong fighter will win, right? So if you're not feeding that part of you that needs to abide, that needs to obey the Lord, you will feed the part of you who doesn't want to obey, who wants to get their own will and their own purpose. And next thing you know, you're formulating something bigger that the enemy just threw a bait at you. So there's always that warfare going on on the inside. But the Holy Spirit comes to prune away sin. But we must confess our sins by name. Because the moment you confess something by name, you, you didn't allow it to have power over you. That's why people who live in obscurity will never overcome anything. Because when you live in obscurity, you're giving power to the darkness. That's why when you go to AA meeting, the first thing they teach you is, my name is... And you say, yeah, you are an alcoholic. Why? Because you can't overcome something you don't confess first. Yeah. See, maturity does not happen without continuous repentance that leads to change. So discipline is part of pruning. I, I got to run here because we have school tomorrow, right? We all got to go to school. Uh, <laughs> Let me give you a couple of scriptures real quick. Hebrews 12. You got to look it up tomorrow when your Bible study with your Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 says, look, for our earthly father disciplines us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Right? It's like that thing, like we say as parents, it's going to hurt me gonna, more than it's going to hurt you. And the kids are like, yeah, right? Um, if, especially if you're cave in. My parents didn't believe in timeout. They believe in knockout. Like, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, I, came, I came here, I was 15. I heard, I heard a mom say, go to your room. I'm like, what is that? Like, what, what does that mean? Go to your room. Because my dad says, come to my room. <laughs> uh, yeah. He says, come to my room. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I stopped praying. <laughs> but, but the Lord disciplines us because he knows it's good for us. And all of us who've been disciplined by earthly fathers, now that we're older, we're grateful. Right? Because it, it made us who we are. Right? And we know friends who never got disciplined, and we know what happens to them. You know, you create Barbies, and okay, all right. But the goal, please write this down, the goal is holiness. Holiness means to be whole, to be set apart. That there's no question, I belong to Jesus. Time is it? All right, are we still good? All right, so in, in, in Hebrews, the same chapter, verse one says this, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. That's, that's where we pull the weeds. Especially the sin that so easily trip us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So in other words, like, you've got to shed weight to run freely. Not let anything hold you back. Right? But the key is, it's not enough... For, Here's, here's, here's the last point tonight. The, the key 
Go home and read Hebrews 12, the whole thing. The key, though, is not to focus on us sinning. It says focus on Jesus. Right? Verse 2 says, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Why? Because sin is not the main point of your story. Jesus is. The more, the more you, you get fixated on sin, the more you live in sin. The more you fixated on Jesus, the more you live free from sin. Right? So the goal here tonight, I hope you catch this, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to go work on my sin. No, no I got to work on being close to Jesus. Like fix my eyes on Jesus. You know? That's why, like, anyone who struggles with addiction, the key is to not fight to not be addicted. The key is to like, what are you going to replace that addiction with? Right? Like, what are you going to replace it with? Because if you're not, you'll find another one, right? Because the groove patterns are there already. To, so be addicted to Jesus. Right? Be addicted to his love, his grace, his goodness. Right? Run to him. Right? Focus on Jesus, not the sin. The goal is to be Christ-like. That's the goal. Right? That's the beauty of this thing. Right? So, to be a good soil, it's, it's, to, it's to have the same things that a plant, a tree needs. It's the same exact things. I love the way that God works. Whatever he's doing in nature, he wants to do in us. Right? It's the same exact thing. Right? Well, I, I, we did yesterday, which I, I would encourage you to do this. As a family, we did this yesterday. We, we, we did... The, the Bible reading as a family, and, and I just, we went around and asked our kids, what, what did you get out of it, right? And we talked about how, you know, a soil needs the same thing our soul needs, right? Soil needs sun, right? The energy comes from the sun. So same thing for us. We need the S-O-N. We need Jesus, right, to be the Lord of our lives, the Savior of our lives, the energy of our lives, right? And then, and then we talked about how soil needs water, right? And we need the Holy Spirit, right? And we talked about how, you know, water needs a vessel, a cup, right? So the Holy Spirit comes to fill your cup. You're the vessel, right? And as long as you get in water and sun, you get in life, right. you know? That's why the Bible says be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, like continuously be watered with the Spirit of God, right? And then we talked about how every soil needs nutrients, right? Because you need fertilizer to be able to feed the nutrients so the roots can get stronger, so the plants can grow. And I'm like, that's why we need, we need the church, right? We need the Bible. We, you know, we need accountability. We need, these are all the nutrients that God has given us to strengthen us. Like tonight, I don't know about you, but as I'm sharing this with you, I feel strengthened. I feel encouraged. I feel blessed. You know? And, and of course, we need pruning. And we need pruning because... It's the only way we're going to be able to bear even more fruits. You know, so embrace it. Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe, maybe you're feeling like, man, it's tight right now. Well, trust God that he's pruning you. Trust God that he's, he's doing a deeper work in you because he knows, listen, a few months from now, watch what you're going to produce. A few months from now, watch how much more you're going to have. It's like, man, I am... So impatient right now. Here's the thing. When you pray for patience, God doesn't give you patience. God puts you in situations to bring patience out of you. That's, 
So you never pray for patience. The moment you pray for patience, God says, release Karen. <laughs> he prays for patience. Okay, get Karen in the office tomorrow. <laughs> I said I'm not going to say the word, because there's a beautiful soul named Karen in this church. She's beautiful. She's amazing. So, but be aware of that person in the office. You should be like, okay, God, I see you. I see you. I see what you're doing here. You know, start to anticipate this stuff. You know, that's how you get patience. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for another day in your house. Grateful, God, that we get to open your word and go deeper and learn and develop our soil. God, we want to be good soils. So Holy Spirit, whatever you have to do, we embrace the pruning process. Teach us to abide in you. For the more we abide in you, the more productive we become. God, I pray for my friends to see much fruit this season. God, I pray that in the next couple of weeks and months to come, that there is so much more joy, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, much more discipleship, much more understanding of your will for our lives because we're abiding and we're embracing the pruning process. Thank you for every single one of us in this room, online. I pray even as we sleep tonight, prune things out of us, Lord. I pray we wake up with a deeper sense of satisfaction and fulfillment because we are your people. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, we all said. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.